Welcome to another episode of Energy Talks. I'm journalist Markham Hislop. This podcast is all about interesting conversations with energy and climate experts from around the world. And don't forget to follow us on social media, on Twitter, at E-N-E-R-G-I Media, and my personal handle, at PoliticalHam, on Facebook, facebook.com slash energymedia. Energy.media is our website, where you'll find Markham and Energy columns, news stories and op-eds, and the Energy Student Resources Portal, a wiki-style collection of our work that's free for high school teachers and university professors to use in their classrooms. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Welcome to episode 106 of Energy Talks. I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Denny Gilbert, a climate scientist who recently retired from Fisheries and Oceans Canada. He's been active on the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and his specialty is sea levels. And I've interviewed Denny, Denny a, a few times. He's uh, fascinating uh, insights into a field that I think for most of us is a bit impenetrable. We're, we're not, most of us are not scientists, not climate scientists. And he helps to explain uh, explain the science in a way that even, even I can understand. So welcome to the interview, Denis. Thank you very much, Markin, for inviting me back. <laughs> well, look, I, one of the things I really like, and we'll get into this in more detail, but one of the things I really like is that you uh, put a lot of, uh, in your popular writing, I mean, you've got a blog, and I encourage uh, listeners who are interested to uh, Google you and find your blog, a lot of good information on there. But you talk about the level of confidence that scientists have in their research, whether it's very high confidence or it's medium confidence or low confidence. And I think that's important for a, a more nuanced conversation about this, about this topic. And um, is that, that's a common approach from scientists, is it not? Well, it, it is for scientists. Uh, and, and in fact, uh, recently, the I guess my latest blog post on the, the topic of sea level rise is the one that uh, essentially highlights the main findings on sea level rise, or I should say sea level change, because in some places where sea level is actually falling. The, 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 the latest post is actually on the 2019 IPCC report on this topic. And I figured that one thing that I would do differently from what uh, you find in newspapers or uh, McLean's magazine uh, is, uh, since I am hosting my blog onto my own website, I'm not uh, obligated to obey uh, editorial rules about this or that. And I figured that since I'm a scientist, uh, to say that sea level will rise by 83 centimeters uh, by year 2100 is not exactly what the science says. It says perhaps 83 centimeters, but it really says that it's somewhere between perhaps a 60 centimeters and 1.1 meter. So if, if the if, if, if the IPCC report actually said that in, in the sentences, why not put it in there? <laughs> because that's actually what the IPCC is saying. <laughs> and, 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 and also the IPCC has a, a, what they call a calibrated language. Their calibrated language encodes in, in the sentences the level of confidence they have in certain statements. When they say that they are virtually certain, it has a meaning, something like 99% certain or something like that. Uh, when, when, they're, when, when they're not so certain, they might say likely. Uh, 
are equally likely or likely not to say that they have no idea. <laughs> but anyway, it's calibrated. And, and so I figured that one thing I could do differently from uh, uh, news outlets is actually put the actual uh, statements from IPCC rather than try to water them down. Yeah, I think that I really appreciate that. And I'm sure uh, listeners who check out your blog will as well. Now, uh, before we get into the discussion of sea level rise, um, I just uh, on a personal note, um, so you've retired from Fisheries and Ocean Canada. Why did why did you decide to you know sort of hang up your career? But you were there for a long time uh, and strike out on your own. Well, okay, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, the uh, essentially in, in in my case, uh, I have to say that the uh, uh, like a lot of people, the pandemic played a role. Uh, the uh, during the pandemic, I had uh, a lot of time to. Uh, Think about what was going differently in my life and uh, think about what I might do next. And uh, I have thought about retiring perhaps when I would turn uh, 65. Uh, but, you know, the uh, I, I thought perhaps if I retire a bit earlier, I'd have a chance to uh, start uh, a new career and be perhaps more professionally active when once I retire, if I start a new thing rather than just a you know, prolong until I'm 65 and have then no more energy left to start something new. <laughs> so, uh, so that was part of my motivation. Uh, and and uh, since I've retired, I guess uh, uh, the first six months I was pretty uh, quiet, uh, sort of uh, taking it easy to recover a little bit from the last uh, few months of sprinting <laughs> before I finished. And now the, uh, I guess uh, I, I, I've started again to, to be active uh, on, on my blog in the fall. And uh, I think one of the first roles I wanted to play, it's not necessarily going to be my focus uh, from now on forever, but I figured that I would start with uh, translating in my own terms, where are some of the findings from the IPCC meeting? Because, uh, the, I figure that uh, there's a there really is a lot of difficulty in understanding what the IPCC is, re is saying to people, especially people who are living near the coastline. Uh, uh, what does sea level rise mean for them? What does it mean for city planning? Uh, there, I have a lot of evidence whenever there's a new storm coming and new flooding that uh, the way people react to the flooding doesn't reflect that they fully understand what's coming to them. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, let's start at the uh, a high level here and talk about ice sheets and glaciers worldwide losing mass. In that statement, you have a very high confidence. Can you explain what you mean? Yeah, well, you know, the, uh, okay, first of all, in terms of mountain glaciers, uh, mountain glaciers have, are, have been monitored for a long time, uh, some of them for uh, over 100 years, partly because they were, many of them were easy to access. If you think, for example, of the Alps, uh, uh, they, they've been monitored well for, 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 for more than a century. And uh, there's even some glaciers, in, in, even in the Rockies, that have been studied well for a long time. Now, uh, since uh, the early 1990s, uh, we have satellites that uh, are capable of actually uh, sending uh, electromagnetic waves at the Earth's surface, and, and they can actually monitor changes in the height of glaciers uh, over land in, with, in a very precise manner. And, 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 and in this way, what they can do is uh, 
do what the uh, we might call mass balances for those glaciers and ice sheets. Uh, and so it's not even second guessing or, uh, or low quality data. It's actually very high quality data where uh, people can know uh, how much the uh, Greenland ice sheet or West Antarctica ice sheet or the glaciers in the Andes or, uh, or, or, or Himalayas, how, how, much, how much they've melted. Uh, that's extremely well known. So sea level rise has accelerated, which is uh, you uh, put that's extremely likely. Um, and you note in your blog that combined in increased ice loss from the Greenland and Ant Antarctic ice sheets. How big a problem is this? Like how much are we losing and, and what effect is it having on sea levels? Yeah, well, in, in terms of the acceleration of sea level rise, uh, coming up with a few numbers here will really help uh, uh, gel this idea into people's heads. Uh, first of all, from 1901 to about uh, 2010, more or less, the, the, uh, the, the average sea level rise over the 20th century has been uh, about one and a half millimeter per year. Okay, and uh, that translates from 1901 to 2015 or something like that into a, some, a sea level rise globally on average of 20 centimeters. Now, remember this figure, 1.5 millimeters per year in the 20th century. <laughs> now, in this era that I mentioned where we have uh, had better measurements of the uh, ice sheets and glaciers, uh, more or less at the same time, or starting in 1993, we started to also monitor sea level at a much higher accuracy. We now have, we, we, we started with the Topex Poseidon satellites and following that we, we, we followed with the JSON series of satellites, JSON 1, 2, and now it's JSON 3. And so now we have 30 years of very high accuracy satellite measurements of sea level. So these are global measurements, again, extremely high accuracy. And now the punchline, is the rate <laughs> in the first 10 years of this series. Now we have 30 years of satellite sea level data. The average sea level rise was no longer 1.5 millimeter per year, but had become 2.1 millimeter per year. <laughs> now move move a little bit to the, 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 the other decade, the second decade of satellite measurements. It was, it was now uh, something like uh, 2.6 or, 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 or close to 3 millimeter per year. And uh, in the WMO uh, report from uh, last summer, uh, summer 2022, uh, the, the most recent 10 years is now 4.5. <laughs> so it's tripled the 20th century rate of, uh, of, 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 of sea level rise. So the acceleration is, 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 is very spectacular. And... Uh, I think that the the uh, it shows also in the um, in the revisions of uh, projections of sea level rise that happened from going from the fifth assessment of the IPCC in 2013 to the uh, that this 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 latest assessment from 2021 uh, the, uh, the 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 revisions have been revised upwards. <laughs> uh, there's more sea level rise being projected now because of this acceleration. Diddy, I'm curious, how does a satellite measure uh, uh, sea level, sea levels, whether it's rising or falling? How does that work? 
Well, essentially, it's 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 it, uh, it boils down to sort of return time of signals. Uh, uh, if here uh, I'm going to use the example of a bat that does echolocation, uh, the bat uh, sends uh, uh, sound waves, uh, and then the sound waves uh, hit objects that then get reflected to the uh, bat's ears, <laughs> and and travel time uh, informs the bat on what is the distance to the object that it wants to capture, perhaps a fly or uh, some some kind of flying insect. Uh, uh, the, here, the uh, from the satellite, uh, you bounce off uh, electromagnetic waves off the uh, ocean surface and uh, the, the travel time is informing you on uh, how far away the ocean surface is so that informs you on sea level so you 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 track that this data you take uh, data measurements on a, a regular basis over a, a given area and and then you can track it over over time and right and yeah there's Essentially, what 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 the the satellites are the Topex Poseidon and uh, Jason series they they they're they're satellites that have a certain repeat uh, cycle every so few, every few weeks they just go back over the same areas over and over and over again and uh, this way you're able to map out the entire globe so it's just unlike uh, tide gauges like tide gauges you might have a tide gauge in Vancouver and one in perhaps in Tofino and and, and one in Halifax and, and then one in uh, Buenos Aires <laughs> uh, and then you hope that somehow you you're gonna help you're gonna come up with a reliable estimate of sea level rise globally and that's what people had to do uh, prior to satellite measurements. Uh, time series of sea level rise prior to 1993 were based on tide gauges. And these are, there's a lot of then complications in terms of uh, interpolating spatially in space measurements that are spotty. <laughs> but when it comes to satellites now, not it's easier because you're actually measuring everywhere. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Okay. So, um, the pot potential for sea level rise uh, is uh, is several meters within a few centuries uh, in the Antarctic. Um, why should we be worried about that much sea level rise over, you know, 200 years seems like a very, very long time. Uh, and I would imagine that the average person who read that would, you know, their eyes would glaze over and they probably wouldn't wouldn't pay much attention. It just seems like, you know, it's three, four lifetimes or five lifetimes away. So why why should we be concerned about that? Well, the main reason why we should be concerned about that is, uh, first of all, uh, when you come to think about uh, the, uh, you know, how long do you expect certain things to last? Like if I think, for example, of the uh, uh, certain buildings in Quebec City or in Halifax or in Vancouver or in New York City, uh, th th those 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 buildings that are on the waterfront, uh, they they have a lot of value, and uh, many of them you're hoping will be with you still in 2100, in year 2100 or year 2150. So so uh, losing highly valuable real estate by the water is a big issue. If 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 you're in an area that is un you know, not uh, so uh, highly uh, developed in terms of ur urbanization, uh, perhaps it's not such a big issue, but in, in, in highly built environments, uh, it really means that you're, uh, you're, you're, you're going to be facing eventually decisions about whether you want to protect by building higher and higher and higher and higher dikes, or whether you're going to want to relocate. 
And in many cases, uh, if you think of small items, for example, that's uh, essentially an existent, that in this sense is a real existential uh, question because uh, for some small items, they don't even have the higher ground to retreat back to. And so it means uh, in some cases, the, there's gonna be uh, some climate refugees because they have nowhere to go to. In the blog post uh, that I was reading, um, you had a really interesting chart. And so it was talking about, you know, different types of responses to coastal risk and sea level rise. And there's, I guess you have, there are six here. One is no response. So, but the, the, the response, uh, different types of adaptation that, uh, that humans can undertake, protection, accommodation, advance, retreat, eco-based, ecosystem-based adaptation. Could you maybe just briefly explain those uh, five, if you wouldn't mind? Okay, sure. Okay, well, in, if, if you think of the uh, accommodation, uh, people can put into their heads the picture of uh, houses that are high on stilt, uh, like you see, for example, uh, in many places in North Carolina, you, you, you see waves or hurricanes coming by and you see those houses that are by the water and they're like, Boy, they might be twenty feet uh, on on twenty feet high stilts or something like that. So that's accommodation. It's sort of sort of jacking up your uh, jacking up your house or a building. Uh, so that's that one. Uh, the the one about uh, protection. It's uh, this one involves uh, building dikes. Uh, uh, the example here is not going to be exactly to do with uh, sea level rise, but if you think of the Sumas Lake uh, flooding recently, uh, it was water going over dikes. Uh, or if you think of uh, the tragedy that happened in the Netherlands uh, in the early 1950s uh, that caused them to buy to to build uh, very high dikes. Uh, uh, it was again dikes 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 breaking. So so protection is building it involves build, building dikes. And, and that's good up to a point until eventually your bikes, your dikes uh, perhaps have a break, <laughs> in which case then you're, you're in deep, 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 deep trouble. Uh, advance. Advance is like, uh, I have a, an example here in my city where uh, say the shoreline is at a given location. Uh, and, and then essentially uh, the, there's pressure to perhaps have new buildings near the downtown. So you, maybe you'll then decide uh, to do some landfilling and, and gain ground over the sea. <laughs> and uh, in our case here in Rimouski, we, we built uh, a boulevard on the waterfront, uh, but it was essentially by uh, filling in the ocean with, uh, with rocky material. And eventually uh, you have a new uh, major artery by the water. So that's one. Uh, and it, it really meant that there's a big, uh, concrete wall there that it looks a bit like the diagram on my on my blog post uh, now ecosystem based uh, it could have uh, many different uh, meanings uh, one of them is uh, perhaps uh, what they call beach nourishment uh, uh, where you would uh, sort of slow down uh, erosion by uh, bringing near the the shoreline or on or on the beach uh, new material that would make it so that the uh, the depth is changed so that waves that would come with the next storm will 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 break earlier and not cause so much damage on the shoreline. So that's one example. Another example might be if you think of wetlands, uh, maybe you would uh, uh, take a road that is uh, currently near the near the water and 
if there's no uh, no one living on that stretch of the highway or road, uh, maybe you could move the road a bit further inland and uh, let the wetland uh, do its job of, <laughs> of, of, of slowing down uh, uh, beach erosion. So that would be another one. And I think that I think that covers all of them. Uh, I, I don't know if I forgot one. <laughs> Oh, uh, I don't think you specifically addressed retreat, but I, I think oh, that's retreat. Fairly... Oh, actually, that's one of my favorite ones. In fact, uh, the retreat is the one where you're thinking longer term. <laughs> the, the, and that's the least popular. It's one that uh, has generally not been implemented very much on large uh, cities. It's one that has been uh, used mainly on small localities where they, they would have decided, let's move this town from this place to this other place. Uh, so so, so it's, it's something that is not happening a, a lot. Uh, in some cases, it, 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 but, but it really involves, like if I think of a city near where I live again, uh, in 2010, we had a major storm and some of the city, or some of the houses, what they did is they, uh, they lifted the, the house up and they deposited them further inland, higher onto a new basement. They, they, they essentially poured concrete over new uh, and, and created a new basement uh, of new foundations for that house. And they just displaced the house on higher ground. So it's one possibility, uh, but it tends to be less popular. But my, my take on that one is that uh, when people really face uh, the reality of climate change and how often they have to do repairs, uh, retreat in the long term, I think, will become more common. Let's talk about um, North America and the likelihood or what we can expect in terms of sea rise on our coasts on, on the West. I live on the West Coast uh, on Vancouver Island, uh, fortunately not near the beach. Uh, I can get there in five minutes, but uh, we don't. I think we're pretty safe where our house is located. But nevertheless, um, you know, then there's the the East Coast. Um, what can what can we expect uh, over the say the next twenty to to fifty years? Are we going to see a few inches? Are we going to see a foot? What yeah. are we, what what are we expecting? Okay, well, here I'll encourage people to uh, Google up uh, climatedata.ca. If they Google up climatedata.ca, they, they will be able to uh, find a number of variables that uh, are put on the, the Canadian data, the climate data portal. And, and, and one of those variables is sea level. And, uh, and, and, and really one thing that uh, uh, this, this, this data portal is, is, is doing very well is uh, allowing people wherever they live in Canada to uh, actually figure out uh, by how much sea level will rise uh, by 2050, 2060, 2070, all the way to 2100. The reason they stop in 2100 is that the uh, the thing that the, the product, the sea level product that is beneath that uh, interface is the uh, fifth assessment of the IPCC from 2013. And this, the, the uh, scenarios essentially stopped in 2100 uh, back then. Uh, so that's one tool, and 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 uh, if if people want to uh, perhaps have a peek even a bit further in the future, uh, the latest IPCC report, uh, IPCC report six, which which came out in 2021, this one actually extends the time series all the way to 2150. So it's actually 50 years of extra time. 
So if suppose you build a new cathedral in downtown, uh, well, the cathedrals are not necessarily the kind of building you might build, but let, let, let's say you build a brand new uh, building in, in the front line of uh, Vancouver. Uh, if, if, you, if you intend for that to last uh, 130 years, that means uh, 2150 uh, becomes relevant as a projection if you want to uh, think in terms of engineering and you're hoping that uh, this building will remain there for 130. 30 years that takes you to 2150. Now, the, 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 this, there, there's a one, there's a tool that was put online by NASA. NASA has uh, actually put what they call a sea level projection tool online, and uh, it'll allow people, whether they live uh, anywhere in the world, actually, this one is global. This is not just for Canada. It works for the US, it works for Mexico, it works as well for Indonesia and Australia. So it's a global tool. It's called the NASA Sea Level Projection Tool. And again, people can look it up. But I'd like to, if I can, uh, pin you down on uh, inches or, or millimeters or centimeters that we could expect on the West Coast and the East Coast of, of North America, well, Canada at least. Can I, are you able to do that? Yeah, well, on, on this one, I'll, I guess uh, I'll, I'll uh, yeah, okay, Let, let's try, let's give it a try. <laughs> The uh, yeah, I, I actually have uh, some of these things uh, up there. So so if I think of Vancouver, for example, uh, and and we we, we look at the uh, year twenty one hundred, the based on the fifth assessment report, uh, it would be on the order of about forty centimeters. Okay, now uh, a place like uh, Halifax, Halifax, uh, that's a bit over sixty centimeters, uh, sixty five centimeters. The reason for the differences here is is is, is vertical land motion. If if you're in a living in a place where land is rising, then you're not going to experience as much sea level rise. On the other hand, if you're experiencing land subsidence or land sinking, you will experience more than your share. So it, uh, relative to the rest of the world, so Halifax, for example, is sinking at about one millimeter per year. So it's experiencing more sea level rise. And at the other extreme, if you go to Churchill, Manitoba, <laughs> Churchill, Manitoba is one of those places that is rebounding very fast due to the fact that it was, uh, you know, the uh, the the Laurentian uh, the Laurentide ice sheet uh, at the last deglaciation uh, retreated or finished melting in, in the Hudson Bay a bit later than it did further south, and so this place is still rebounding really fast at about ten millimeters per year. And so uh, in Churchill, Manitoba, by year twenty one hundred, uh, they for the same scenario of RCP four point five instead of a uh, Instead of a sea level rise, what they see there is sea level uh, dropping by uh, 65 centimeters. So the, 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 the vertical land motion is key here because this is what, uh, because sea level change, what you experience is a relative change. How much land is changing relative to how much the, the sea itself is changing. Well, I'll just, uh, on a personal note, I actually grew up uh, not just south of Churchill uh, okay. in a little town that was the sort of the basis for Manitoba Hydro's uh, <laughs> hydro power development. Been to, been to Churchill many times, and I will, I'll share this little anecdote. So we used to go up there for, you know, high school sporting events. And in the high school, uh, at least at that time, this, is, this would be, you know, mid-70s, uh, they had a big glass window that looked out over the bay. And so when you got 
there in you know wintertime everything was frozen over and it's a very uh moving and odd sensation to look out on this vast body of water that's frozen it's just white on white on white as far as you can see and i it's one of my my favorite memories of uh, of churchill and of course the other is is you know worrying about being chased around by polar bears uh, <laughs> no but but anyway i i digress i digress we'll leave that we'll leave more of those stories for another day very so, well <laughs> so what uh, the the takeaway here uh for me denny is you know vancouver if um i, I still you know i still think in uh, if, uh, feet and inches if vancouver were to have uh you know the rise uh, the, the sea level rise of six inches or 12 inches I can see a lot of buildings and, you know, that are along the coast uh, right at the edge of the water. That could be a very, very expensive fix for that. Oh, yeah. The, 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 in fact, you know, there was a, I don't, okay, maybe you'll, you'll, you'll tell me what the name of the organization is, but there's something called climate choices in Canada. There's a, there's a, 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 I don't know if it's a think tank or. Oh, the Canadian Institute for, uh, they used to be the Canadian Institute for climate choices and now they're the Canadian climate Institute. Well, that's the one I was thinking of. This Institute came up with a study uh, that came out uh, a few months ago or perhaps a year ago, uh, but I, I think it's less than a year ago that actually costed costed what, what are the impacts of sea level rise and uh, by a long shot uh, Vancouver is the champion in that in that regard uh, uh, because a lot of it is low lying <laughs> uh, and, and 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 another thing too about Vancouver is that uh, it's built a lot of the, the Vancouver area is ba ba built on the Fraser Delta River Fraser River Delta. And uh, the, the, this means that uh, uh, some of the sediments from the delta that uh, where, where things have been built uh, might actually even be sinking when you build a high rise on top of it uh, that imposes a lot of weight onto the, the sediment. So, 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 so this is an issue that uh, also plays, plays out in Vancouver. So if we were to uh, to wrap up our interview, uh, Denis, with uh, some, you know, a couple of big takeaways for our listeners, what what would they be? Like for instance, well, yeah, okay. Well, I I, I think really uh, I'll, I'll try and come up with just one. <laughs> the, the, I I think the big takeaway from me for me is uh, that the sea level rise is not just something unlike unlike temperature that we hope we can stabilize quickly a sea level rise will not stabilize so quickly and uh while people in the first in now and in the next decade will likely be knocking on the federal government's door to uh, send them money for repairs and stuff like that there's going to be a point at which the government is going to say, "Look, this is getting out of control, uh, and 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 uh, we will not be able to help at the same level as we did, like paying back 60% of the damage or whatever." And uh, really, uh, the quicker you think long term in terms of adaptation and preventing further damage by building higher and being building smarter, uh, the, the better it is. And uh, and really. Uh, Waterfronts look a lot better when uh, 
people are able to use them in a natural kind of setting rather than a built environment. And I think it's a win-win to actually develop coastlines and waterfronts in a way that uh, are uh, 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 fun for pedestrians. And this way you have less material damage when something goes bad. Right. The, the problem, of course, is that uh, is the already built environment. Abs absolutely. Yeah, that and so that's uh, why prevention is it helps a lot. <laughs> but I but I think that's a very good point. You know that the federal government is going to be called upon uh, because there will be damages. But then there are economic damages. I you know if um, uh, I don't know what's been built, uh, you know cl close to the coastline or the shoreline uh, on Vancouver, but I would assume that it's you know probably a lot of office buildings there'd be dislocations and you know for for businesses uh maybe not industrial there's not a lot of industry on the on the west coast some but you know not it's not like the uh, uh like california for for example but yeah. it, which raises the question um would the are the americans likely to be more affected than than canadians because you know you think of california on the coast you think of the northeast states like new york uh, that that uh, would be affected, and they seem to be. I mean, bigger cities uh, and and more, you know, critical to the economy. Um, so, are the Americans likely to be more affected? Well, the the it depends on the areas. Uh, in some areas, yes. In some areas, no. The uh, but re, re, if you look at the uh, again, the vertical land motion is is the key factor here. Uh, uh, Florida, the southern tip of Florida. Uh, uh, the, the the Miami area is one that is well known for being uh, uh, sort of in the storm's eye <laughs> of sea level rise. Uh, and and uh, also, if you think of the Mississippi Delta, uh, the New Orleans area is uh, is one where you're expecting a lot more than your own share. Again, here in the, in the case of the Mississippi Delta, you, there's an issue of sediment compaction. And in addition, they have another another factor that is making this land sink even faster, uh, uh, and, and it is that uh, by extracting oil from the, uh, the, the, the 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 northern Gulf of Mexico, uh, the extraction of oil is actually uh, causing the soil to subside even more. <laughs> so 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 you know, and, and other places where you would in the coastline uh, be exploiting the um, the groundwater. Uh, for your own municipal needs or agricultural needs, that cause that, that that increases land subsidence. So so those areas would be hardest harder hit. So 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 I think the general answer to your question is 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 yes. But it, again, it depends on the specifics. There will be some region where the vertical land motion is up, and so they will not be hit so hard. Like uh, uh, parts of Alaska will not be affected uh, at all because they're bouncing back up uh, real fast. But uh, Louisiana for sure, uh, North Carolina, mo most of the East Board actually is uh, is sinking. Uh, most of the U.S. East Board is 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 sinking about the same speed as uh, as Halifax or a bit faster. So 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 they're 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 in trouble. And and New York City is uh, is going to be affected as well. That's a major major point. Major New York City is uh, is is uh, is a big city. <laughs> Yeah, we we've all seen uh, you know numerous movies and TV shows where set in New York where they they fly in over the skyline and all you can see are these big buildings right down on the on the shoreline, and uh, and it makes only makes sense that that that's going to be a, a big problem for them. Uh, 
Well, look, uh, Denny, thank you very much for this. Uh, this is a, a fascinating topic and something we clearly need to spend more uh, spend more time on and spend more time addressing, though it appears that, you know, maybe now we're at least getting around to talking about adaptations. I know, you know, the city of Vancouver, for instance, has been talking about it for a few years. I assume that that same conversation is going on the East Coast. And uh, good luck with your consultancy. And we'll look forward to the next interview. Thank you very much, Markham, and have a nice day.